Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Enjoy a tall, cool dude. What is this? What, what are we doing? What in God's name are we doing? What? Our lives. What, what kind of lives are these? We're like children. We're not men. No, we're not. We're not men. It's the nightcap. Are we going to be sitting here when we're 60 like two idiots? We should be having dinner with our sons when we're 60. We're pathetic. You know that? Yeah, like I don't know that I'm pathetic. On WGR Sports Radio 550. So then you asked yourselves, isn't there something more to life? Yes. Yeah, well, let me clue you in on something. There isn't. The uh, Maple Leafs are doing something really cool right now. They are, they're doing something that I wanted the Sabres to do last year. They're about to name their captain in introductions. And I got it up on the screen here right now when I'm watching. They're going one by one, player by player. It's okay, that guy's not going to be captain. No Jason Spezza. Uh, Alex Kerfoot, he's not going to be captain. You get towards the end, and I think you're going to see maybe John Tavares, or maybe you'll see uh, Austin Matthews. It's got to be one of them. And then I got up here on the screen, too, on uh, NBCSN's, got their hockey pregame coverage. Capitals and uh, Capitals and Blues is one of the games tonight. That's the national game, and that's about an hour away. So the, uh, the Canucks also are going to do this. At their 50th anniversary uh, home opener, they're going to announce their captain. It's a, it's a good move. It's a cool move for the fans to uh, kind of be surprised and be able to welcome their captain and cheer. And I wish the Sabres would have done that uh, last season that way, but they didn't. But fine, whatever. Um, the Leafs, who's their captain going to be? I, I, this is riveting. I know that we're waiting for the team an hour and a half north that I think we all, we'll, we'll quickly get annoyed with once again. Um, there it is. John Tavares is the captain of the Maple Leafs. Wow. Drama in Toronto. Locker room problems, collision course, John Tavares and Austin Matthews. Here we go. Matthews mad that he wasn't chosen as captain. No, not really. I, I would be prob- prob- probably not. You never know, though. Um, so hockey's getting going. There's a couple games, as I mentioned, tonight, one of which is the Toronto Maple Leafs against the Ottawa Senators, which should be a slaughter. Uh, Ottawa is still really, really bad. There's some players on Ottawa that maybe if you're turning on the game tonight, you're looking for some hockey, you might realize, hey, Tyler Ennis is an Ottawa Senator. Yeah, that's right. Tyler Ennis is an Ottawa Senator. So you'll start to learn uh, some of the roster stuff around the league right now. And there's some later games tonight, too. I'm pumped. I'm pumped for hockey. I think that uh, this Bills game this Sunday, it kind of came at the perfect time. I'm kind of glad that they weren't undefeated going into New England that the week hockey started because I like to really get into hockey as it gets going, uh, like for the first week or so. And then I'll put it on the back burner just a bit and then kind of invest myself more so with the Bills, especially if they're good. Um, to This week, it's kind of perfect for that. It's the Titans. There's not a team in the league that bores me more than the Tennessee Titans. I'm obviously going to be 
all in on that Bills game on Sunday. But until then, I'm thinking about the Sabres. I really am. What this team is this season, what the competition is like around them, the roster, trades that have not happened, um, all of that. And I want to get into it. We will talk football tonight, though, because there is a uh, wide receiver that may or there, that might even probably be traded that is really good. And I think Bills fans are waiting for that next number one wide receiver to come available from another team so that they can jump on it. And I think maybe that is about to happen with a team over in the NFC. So we'll get to that, um, and we'll talk a little bit about the Bills' opponent this week, Marcus Mariota in particular, and kind of just how that's going for him. So we'll talk football. I do want to start with some hockey, though, and... I want your calls at 803-0550. It's Nightcap with Joe DiBiase, if I didn't mention that already. And if you're not, uh, if you're if you're new to the scene here, um, I'll be here till till nine o'clock tonight. Yeah, just talking. And then tomorrow we'll have, uh, of course, you won't hear from me because we'll have the home opener, not the home opener. I'm sorry, the season opener. Sabers at Penguins at seven o'clock. So, an interesting thought popped into my head earlier today when thinking about Sam Reinhardt, just kind of talking about Sam Reinhardt just in general, like actually he's a fantasy player and what he has become as a player. I am all in on him playing center. I think it is the easiest decision in the world to have him play center. I cannot believe that that's not going to happen to start the year. Um, And what he is as a player, what he is contract-wise, like he's not a guy that's often talked about. He's not the kingpin of the team. Yeah, he was a second overall pick like Jack Eichel, but come on, we all know who the real franchise centerman is. We all know who the real franchise player is. It's Eichel, then it's Darlene, and in a way, it's everybody else. Now, there is a second tier. Eichel and Darlene are as untouchable as it gets. I would say about anyone else, for the right price, could be traded. Really, anybody for the right price could be traded. But, except Conor McDavid, um, I would hope. You never know. Oilers. Where is Reinhardt laying that? Because I'm thinking about scapegoats. Because we've gone a couple years here, right? And a couple years ago, they missed the playoffs. Dan Bilesma and Tim Murray are both scapegoated and they're out. Like, rightfully so. I'm not saying them being scapegoated means that they were unfairly fired. They were just, they were the scapegoats. They were them. So it was Bilesma and it was Housley. Then the year after, it was Ryan O'Reilly. Then this past year, it was Housley, and in a way, it was Ristolainen. I know it's hard to say that because he's still on the team, but come on, he was scapegoated. The guy is in trade talks. The only reason he's maybe not been traded yet is Jason Bottrell is not quite satisfied with the return that he would get. Ristolainen, Housley, scapegoated. Who would be next? Who would be next? And I always think about this for Jason Bottrell. It's kind of the cycle, right? You fire the coach, then you trade uh, one of the, then you fire the roster essentially in a way, then you fire the GM and you go round and round and round and round until eventually you just get so tired because you're in a thirty-year or you're in a twenty-year playoff drought like we experienced with the Bills. So where are the Sabers now in that? Who's next if things go wrong? And I don't want to have to have this show, but you know what? Them not making the roster moves this offseason that they needed to make puts me in that spot. That, that makes me think this, this kind of stuff. And I think it makes a lot of Sabre fans think this kind of stuff. There's a reason to be optimistic, but there is not reason to expect that this team is going to be a playoff team this season. So if we're going to go on year nine, if let's just say for sake of conversation that happens, they don't make the playoffs. Can't guarantee that, but it's more likely than not. They don't make the playoffs, and they look bad throughout the year missing the playoffs. They're not even close. They're, they're what they've been the past couple years, which is bottom five in the league. 
What are you doing then? You just hired Kruger. Botro would be going on year three. I think he would have to be out the door. Have to be. And I, um, you know, I'm still hopeful about Jason Botro. I still think I, I like him as a GM. I think he's a smart guy. I think that he understands the modern game. I think that he understands value better than Tim Murray did. I think he understands the fact that you need a well-balanced roster and not just forwards to uh, more so than Tim Murray did. So I think he's done a, a decent job. You throw out the Ryan O'Reilly trade, and he's done a great job. But you can't, so in that way, at the very best, I can say he's done a good job. The Skinner trade is unbelievable. He's made some other nice moves along the way. I like the Montour trade for him. Um, I even like the Sherry trade, like some of these minor deals, Sherry, VC. He's done a good job of supplying some wing depth, but there's a couple failures that he has yet to fix so far. One of them is center, past Jack Eichel. Tim Murray... As I mentioned, I don't think Tim Murray is as good a GM as Jason Bottrell was, but if we're going to compare the last two GMs here, one thing that Murray got that Bottrell hasn't is you need to have a strong center group. You have to. Tim Murray knew he was getting Jack Eichel, and he still went after Ryan O'Reilly. He still did it. And maybe that guy's not on the market right now. Maybe there isn't a Ryan O'Reilly on the market. But Bottrell traded that guy away. And he didn't have a plan B for replacing him. His plan A was Berglund and Middlestat together. A young guy and a veteran will figure it out. That didn't work. Berglund quit and Middlestat not ready to take on that role. So you got to throw Evan Rodriguez in there because you just have no other option. And what are we doing right now? We're taking a winger and Marcus Johansson. I think the coach is making the right decision here. But in terms of what the GM had to supply the coach, he doesn't have a true number two center. He doesn't have a real option. To where now the coach has to say, all right, Johansson's my second best option. Got to put him in the middle. And that might work. You put him with Jeff Skinner, and that might actually work. But that doesn't mean it was a, that's, that should have been the plan for Jason Bottrell to get a center behind Jack Eichel. That has been a hole he has not fixed. And it could be a big reason that if thing that could be a big reason why things could go wrong again. Things could go really wrong. This is a tough, tough division. They are not on the same level as Toronto or Boston or Tampa or Florida. Pete Jensen from NHL.com. We've had him on the station a couple of times. He did his projections, season projections yesterday. Just one man's opinion. But he's got the Florida Panthers second. Like that's a team that's t- taken a jump. That is a team that has gone, all right, we're, we're winning now. We've got a great young franchise centerman in Alex Barkov. Finally, we think we have the pieces around him. Let's go get that final piece. Let's go get that goaltender in Sergei Bobrovsky. Now, I don't think a goaltender necessarily would have been the final piece for the Sabres, but the Sabres have not found that final piece. They've done an okay job at supplying the rest of it. There's reason to believe this blue line is going to be good this season. I really think it. I really think... Today, on paper, they are an above-average defense core. I like it a lot. Dowline is amazing. Montour is good. Miller is good. Yoki Haru is good. Pilot is good. And then, if I've got the old crop of the old-school cross-checking in front of the net defensemen, like Ristolainen, and Bogosian, and Scandella, if those guys, and even McCabe, although we, I think McCabe is uh, maybe better than those guys in terms of his value and his contract... If those guys are now filling out my third pair, are now filling out the lesser minutes, 
Now I've, I've really got a blue line. Now I'm really t- now we're talking. So they got that. The goaltender is you know it can hold down the fort. I, I would like them to be better there, but it can hold down the fort. They could be worse, and the wingers are pretty good. Like their wing group is pretty good. They can run like six, seven deep, and I think that they can they can uh, they can get away with it. If any of those, like they have, how many wingers? Just looking at the roster real quick. Would, would you say respectably if they're in your top six? It's not the end of the world. Skinner, Johansson, Reinhardt, Sherry, VC, Rodriguez. That's six right there. I honestly, I'm a bigger Oposo fan than a lot of other people, but I think he would probably be the, the cutoff would be before Oposo. He's got six guys for four spots, and I like that. Like through three lines, your entire roster really. They're they're good on the wing. I like it. The center position. They haven't filled it. How are they going to fill it? And if they don't, what kind of team are we looking at? And to me, I think we're looking at a team that is going to be closer to... It's hardly... If if I wanted to tier the division, I would go... That top tier, those four teams I just mentioned. Boston, Tampa, Toronto, Florida. I really think Florida's in that tier. Pete Jensen, by the way, I didn't even mention it. I brought his name up. He has... Or maybe I did. He has Florida finishing second. In the division. And I think that's respectable. I'm going to bet on the Panthers to win the Stanley Cup. Like, I really think they've got something there. And I wish the Sabres were in. I wish the Sabres had done something like that. I wish they had taken the jump that I think Florida's about to take. But anyways. I don't think they're near as bad as Detroit and Ottawa. Their Vegas over-under would, would tell you that. The Sabres are at 83 and a half. The, the Red Wings are at... 75 and a half. That's an eight point difference. That's a big difference, in, especially for in the in the betting world. And then Ottawa's at 68 and a half. That's the lowest number I think I've ever seen. 68 and a half. I'm sure the tank savers were around there, maybe lower. But that's that's brutal. So I don't think they're near Detroit or Ottawa. I think they're about close to Montreal. I think that you're you're fighting for probably one playoff spot. With Montreal and whoever the fourth and fifth best teams in the Metro are, I don't know, would that be Carolina? Would that be Jersey might be better? They got Subban, they got Jack Hughes now, the Islanders. I don't really I know the Rangers got Panarin, but I'm not a big fan of theirs. Philly, I think you could be competing with. You're really you're competing with almost the entire Metro division. And then Montreal. That's who you're competing with. And you gotta be better than a lot of teams there. Things would have to go really perfect. So, you can't expect, at this point, you can hope, I'm hoping, but you can't expect that their second-line center position is going to be fixed by the time the season starts, you know, in 24 hours. So, where can I find the optimistic point of view? Where can I find an argument, a pathway for the Sabres to be good this season? And I'm having a tough time with it. I mentioned the blue line, but... We'll have you got to. I want to see it first. Olafson is a name to bring up for this. Colin Miller, Montour. Well, I just mentioned the blue line, um, and then really, I think the 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 top guy to think about for this is Ralph Kruger. I really do. He is the guy I wanted. He is the coach that I when the when the coaching search started. I wrote about him. Like the first week, the coaching staff or the, the coach that was fired with Phil Housley, 
I wrote about at WGR550.com, Ralph Kruger, who at the time was still in the Premier League. He was still serving as the... uh, I'm sorry, I'm distracted. He was still serving as the Southampton chairman. I got distracted because Ottawa, who I just made fun of for having a 68.5 point over-under, just scored on the Toronto Maple Leafs 20 seconds in uh, for the first goal of the NHL season. Anyways, back to Ralph Kruger. He was still in the Premier League, and I wrote about him because I loved the idea. There was a report from two years ago before Bottrell hired Housley that he had reached out to gauge Kruger's interest, and Kruger had only a couple of months left on his contract at Southampton. So it made sense that if he wanted to return to hockey, here's your chance. Here's your opportunity. And he was a guy I wanted. He understands sports science. He's a smart guy. Really intelligent. Didn't get a real crack in the NHL. His players loved him. He seems really smart when it comes to like player utilization and the underlying numbers and analytics. He's more into the sports science end of it, which I'm still trying to understand and grasp a little bit more than the analytics side of it. But he's a smart guy. It, it just seems like a good idea. Great communicator. Leader. Wrote a book on leadership. Like, let, let, Yeah, let's go. I like this. This is different, and this seems smart. So let's do it. And maybe that's reason to believe... Maybe there is reason to believe Kruger, if anybody, would be the guy to turn this around. Not any of the players. Not even the the remade blue line. Not Jack Eichel. Not Rasmus Dahlin. But maybe Ralph Kruger. And I'm thinking about the Islanders for this. Last year's Islanders, I think, are pretty comparable to this year's Sabres. In terms of their roster. One incredibly dynamic offensive player. For the Sabres, that's Eichel. For the Islanders, that's Barzell. I think Eichel's better than Barzell, but anyways, they're comparable. You know, the goaltending situation is like you got two like 1B guys. Leonard and Thomas Grice, Carter Hutton and Linus Allmark. You know, ideally, those guys aren't a, number, a, a true number one in a really good team, but maybe system, I can help them out. Maybe they can give me some good goaltending. The blue line... There's not really a superstar for the Islanders, and even though Dalene, I think, will be a superstar, I don't think he's quite there yet. Maybe he will be this year, but I don't think you can count on that. Um, but you'll, you know he'll be like a legit top-pair guy, at the very least. He's not quite a Norris Trophy level yet. The, that was the Islanders. A good, complete blue line that didn't necessarily have like a Norris Trophy winner on it. And then some depth in the forward group. And not really... Um, much in terms of expectations. And look what the Islanders did. They got a new coach in Barry Trotz. They brought in the goalie whisperer Mitch Korn, who everywhere he goes gets Vesna-level play out of a goaltender. And the Islanders won a round. They smoked the Penguins in the first round. Swept them. So, maybe they're the example to think, hey, the coaching staff and the head coach, the new HUD head coach, could be the difference. Could be the reason to think it could happen. But that is really the furthest I'm getting, I think. I don't know where else to look. Unless Eichel comes out and has that Nathan McKinnon season that I talk about a lot, where he takes a big jump from being an 80-point player to a 100-point player. 
if Must Dalin in year two at 19 years old, this could happen, although this might be a lot to put on him. I wouldn't expect this out of him yet, but it could happen. Dalin in year two just soars through the skies, and he's a Norris nominee. He's one of the best defensemen in the league already. And maybe the rest of it comes together. Maybe they're just that good on the blue line with Kruger's system. That could happen. But I think the more likely way they'd be really good this year is the coach figures out how to utilize all of these players. They get some good goaltending. They lock it down a little bit when they need to. Maybe play a little more defensive than you'd like. And they find a way to squeak in. Because that's all that's going to happen. They're not going to beat out Boston, Toronto, or Tampa, or Florida. I think you got to squeak in if you're going to want to make it this year. And that's that's kind of a rough place to start, I think. There's a whole season. You know, I'm not ruling out. I'm not saying it's impossible they could beat one of those four teams, but I would be floored. I'd be floored if they beat any of those four teams. And that's four of your five playoff spots that are available. Now, I guess... The counter to that is, especially with me, before the season for the Bills, I mentioned how I was really only one playoff spot because I was ready to hand the Chargers a playoff spot. And that hasn't gone well so far. I think they're one and two or two and two. So maybe it's wrong for me to hand Florida a, ro- uh, a playoff spot. But man, I just, I really like that roster. I really like it. Trocheck is great. And Barkov is amazing. And Huberto took a huge step last year. He's a 90 point player now, or at least it was last year. And Hoffman is really good. And Dadanoff is really good. And uh, Ekblad's a franchise defenseman. And Yandel is good. And Pesic is good. And now they've got Bobrovsky. It's a great team. 8030550 is the phone number. We'll hear from Sabre head coach Ralph Kruger as we progress here. Uh, eight, and I want your calls, uh, as I mentioned. Um, you can throw some text my way too at 55550, or on t- you can send some tweets my way at Sneaky Joe WGR. Quick score update for you in the NHL if you're not really keeping up on the games right now. Ottawa's up one nothing on Toronto. All right, here we here we go. A weird NHL season, the worst team in the league beating one of the best teams in the league. That's hockey for you, though. Later, of course, Blues and Capitals, as I mentioned, that's the national TV game. So if you're looking for some hockey tonight, that's what you can find. It's the Nightcap with Jody Biasi, and we'll get into football later. I got Stefan Diggs. I might as well say who it is. Might be out there for us. If you got thoughts on him, if you want to call in, I'll get to that early if you want. Um, but I want to do some more hockey here next on the Nightcap on WGR. I think it was really important for me to kind of know what to expect coming into camp this year and uh, I felt like it, it helped me to uh, be a lot more uh, calm and confident um, coming into this year. Sabre forward Victor Olofsson, one of the bright spots going into the 2019 season. He's going to start on a line with Jack Eichel and Sam Reinhart, so it seems. One thing I am uh, not optimistic about, I guess is uh, the lines and the fact that it looks like maybe Evan Rodriguez is an extra right now. He's been skating as an extra a little bit, and then today he skated in Olofsson's spot because Olofsson couldn't practice because of all the paper transactions they have to do with the cap. Um, And that reads like he might not be on the opening art roster. That would blow my mind if Sabotka's on line two on the wing and Rodriguez can't be on the team. Are you kidding me? Not, that would not be a great start for this coach, but I'm willing to give him some leeway because he just got here. He doesn't really know. A whole, I think he's still figuring out what he's got. Um, but you got to arrive at a. You got to arrive at a place quickly 
to where you're going Rodriguez over Sabatka. You gotta. I still can't even believe he's on the team. It's amazing to me. There are two people in Buffalo sports right now, uh, two players that I cannot believe see playing time, and it's Sabatka and Zay Jones. Just, ugh, that might be it, but, man. I got a poll up on Twitter. You can vote on it if you want. What type of season do the Sabres need to have for Jason Bottrell to keep his job? I think I'm picking him out as, if things go wrong, he's the next scapegoat. Because if things go really wrong again, someone, someone pays for it, right? You can't do nothing. And if you don't get rid of the GM, what are you doing? That's the better. That's maybe a better question. If you don't get rid of the GM, what are you doing? Reinhardt's an RFA. I really hope they wouldn't do that. I really hope they wouldn't do that. Coming from somebody, by the way, that wanted him traded for years. Like, there was two, three years there where I wanted them to trade Sam Reinhardt because I didn't see the upside in his game. But you know what? He absolutely proved me and any other person that doubted that he had more upside to his game wrong. And he did it last year. Now you can't trade him. You can't. There's no way. In fact, you need to put him at center. Um, but I, I digress. 8030550 is the phone number. Let's go to Jonathan. Jonathan, you're on the nightcap. What's up? Hey, Joe. Um, the Sabres really need a lot to go right for them to make the playoffs. I mean, I think it's doable, but realistically, I'm expecting maybe like mid 80s, lower, upper 80s, lower 90s. But if they finish uh, worse than they did, I think if they finish worse than they did last year, like lower to 70s, 60s, then I think Jason Bottles are fired. I mean, part of me wants to give him the, some time because he hired a new coach. I really want to see what he has in Ralph Kruger. But if this season goes haywire, I think Bottles in trouble. All right, Jonathan, thanks for the call. I uh, I think I agree. He's He's got to be next in line. And um, I'm sorry, I got distracted. Just saw a tweet come across. I, I don't even know if you should share it. Should I share it? If I share it, we're gonna get completely away from hockey. I'll 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 say it at the at the end of the segment. So stay tuned for that. Um, no, I think I agree. I think if he doesn't show some urgency, if he doesn't make some trades that have some urgency, if Ristolainen survives the year and things haven't changed, then there's just too much inactivity. It's gonna it's gonna feel like Darcy Regeer. It's going to feel like too much inactivity. Tim Murray maybe was too much activity. Uh, Regeer was maybe not enough. And I think you would hope Bottrell falls somewhere in between. Um, But there really hasn't been a whole lot. Maybe that's trading, I don't know, Tage Thompson to find someone's going to help you right now. What does Thompson and Ristolainen get back for me? Like you got to find a way to solve their center problem. Because I can't see this team being good without it. And if this team's not good, then I think the GM's in trouble. What type of season do they really need to have, though, for him to stay? That's what I wonder. I don't think it's playoffs or bust for him. I don't think that he gets fired if they just miss. Um, but another bad season, like bottom five, maybe even bottom ten, and you're more than double digits out of the playoffs then we need to have a serious... I think the owner needs to have a serious conversation. The ownership group needs to have a serious conversation about who their general manager is. Because you get three years, and... Like, that... It's not a super long time in hockey when it comes to the draft picks and your draft success, but it is a long time in terms of trades you make and your plan for the roster. Like, things should start coming together in your third year. And... 
For this guy, it did it in years one or two, um, and I, there's not a whole lot of reason to believe it will in year three. There's some reason to believe it, but it's not on solid ground. Like they're, I think they're on thin ice. Then you have to wonder what happens with Ralph Kruger. I think about Ralph Kruger a lot for this. I really do. I wonder, and maybe this is stupid to say, but I, I wonder if Kruger, and I don't know this at all, if he took this job, and by the way, before I even say this, there's a report from, I think, Bob McKenzie uh, back in the summer before Kruger, I think, even leaves Southampton, let alone takes a job with the Sabres, that he would want to return to hockey, but he wants to do it in an administrative role, like he did in soccer. He wants to be in charge of an organization, whether that be president of hockey ops or GM or something like that, something in the front office. And he might be thinking, or if he's not, Maybe if things did go horribly wrong and Bottrell didn't wasn't able to keep his job, then they bump Kruger upstairs. I don't know. I don't think he. Nece- what I'm saying is, I I don't think that Kruger would necessarily have to go if the GM did. He could stay on as coach, but maybe a G- that 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 would cause problems because I think your GM would want his own guy, and then you're gonna have to be looking for another coach. Maybe that's a reason not to do it at all. Maybe them letting Kruger or letting Bottrell hire Kruger is a sign that it's not, there's no way he gets fired after this year. I think that's possible. I think it's maybe likely that he would be gone if they're just really bad again. But maybe he doesn't have to. Maybe them letting him hire Kruger is a sign of that. But the question you have then is who goes? Who pays for a really bad season? And I don't want it to be Sam Reinhart. And I think fans don't want it to be Sam Reinhart. He's good. He's legitimately good. And there's no one else that's really important on this team right now that you can trade. So, all of this gets fixed if they're good. All of it gets fixed if they're good. But, how likely is that to happen? There's a chance, but I'm not holding my hat on it. They would really need this defense core to look really good. Like, really good. That's the only way I can see it happening. And I'm not saying it's unlikely, but I would be a little surprised if this team is a playoff team this season. I would be. 803-0550 is the phone number. We'll get start to get into football in the second hour. We're going to hear from Ralph Kruger um, when we come back. So stay tuned for that. And I will, uh, I'll tease this out now because it's not solid and it's not a report. And it's just kind of noise. But there is someone on Twitter saying that it's not, doesn't look to be that legit, but you never know. Someone tweets, I just saw Stefan Diggs tossing some wings at Lenovo. Then took some pictures uh, with somebody. And there's a lot of people tweeting about that. I don't think that's true. Uh, He also followed some bills on Instagram and Twitter. I would love that to happen. I would love that to happen, but there's nothing at all that is solid about that happening right now. Ralph Kruger after this on the Nightcap on W. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. WGR.
Welcome back to the Nightcap with Joe DiBiase here on WGR. Hockey's going. Ottawa's up 1-0 on Toronto. That's pretty funny. Uh, we got St. Louis and Washington about to get underway in about 15 minutes. I was just checking, by the way, I've seen some highlights on Twitter of Sabre practice. And they're wearing the white gloves. It's a nice look. I like it a lot. One other thing I need to clarify. I thought I thought I said this clearly, but just to make sure. There's a tweet going around a little bit that Stefan Diggs is at a local pizza joint right now. It's not legit. Like it and there's nothing solid to it right now. Just just to let everybody know. So if you're seeing that going around at this point there's nothing solid that he's actually in Buffalo. Now, as an idea, it's interesting. We'll get into that in the second hour. We'll uh, we'll wrap up with hockey, though, here. 803-0550 is the phone number. We'll hear from Ralph Kruger in just a second. Uh, first, though, let's go to Joe. Joe, you are on the nightcap. How's it going? Yes, how you doing, Joe? Good. How are you? I'm not sure if it was you yesterday that I was listening to, um, but you kind of uh, mentioned it today. Um, uh, Reinhardt driving play last year at center. Yep. I, yep. I recall that very well. Well, not, not at center, not at center, but he drove play from the wing. Oh, well, you can't – well, okay, but you were talking about playing him at center. That's different sure. play from center than wing. My my point is that you don't think uh, Middlestat's ready. I do, uh, but that's just well, – what, what tells you that, though? What, what what evidence do you have that he is ready? Well, okay, the fact that he played all last year, first of all. Okay. And he, glimpses of his talent is, is there. And then this preseason he looks much bigger, and his play – Although he didn't bury some pucks, his play was was. Man, I don't, I don't, I don't know necessarily agree with that. I thought he looked very similar to last season. I thought that he looked panicky at times with the puck. Uh, I think in the neutral zone he had a tough time. The one play, man. I mean, the, Nathan Gerby owns him. Nathan Gerby steals the puck from him, goes in and scores. And that guy's hardly even in the NHL anymore. He's not in the NHL. He's an AHL player. So, yeah, there were glimpses, but I don't think you can use his previous experience. Look at Tage Thompson. Tage Thompson showed glimpses last year. He had a year of experience, and look where he is now. He's in Rochester. But, but Joe, T.C. Middlestat, his, his, uh, his background, where he was drafted, okay. talent, it, 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 it trumps Tage Thompson. Well, it, he, you know, so. Sure, okay, but here's another thing. You're talking about Sam Reinhart not as being a good, a good idea for second-line center. But oh, I didn't. He, I didn't say. Okay. I didn't say that. You said I was talking about you saying that he drove play last year. I thought you said it was from center. I got you. I got you. We got that straight now. I got you. Uh, no, I, I, I think, I, I think Sam probably could. But if he doesn't drive play at, on the second line from that center position, then, then, then you got problems. I think he would. Thanks for the call, Joe. I, th- at the end of the day, for me, I think he would. And. Part of this is I don't I don't think Middlestat's ready for second line center. I think he proved that he wasn't ready last year and coming into this year, his preseason, honestly, and listening to Paul talk about this and kind of him having the same opinion, if they were stronger down the middle, I think he'd be in Rochester. I really would. I think he might be here right now in part because of circumstance. Now, when it comes to his value. And what he projects to be long term, that has not wavered for me. Right now, Casey Middlestad is probably the fourth most valuable player in the organization. Like you ever play uh, for for you millennial folk out there, I'll know that better. Um, but you ever play NHL or Chell as we call it? Um, 
I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's, it's true. That's what, we, that's what a lot of us call it. You ever go to the trade thing where you go to make a trade in franchise mode and you've got your list of players and there's that bar that has trade value? Well, Eichel, Darlene are right at the top there. Their bars are almost full. Reinhardt is really full. And I think Middlestad is right after that. I think he's one of the most valuable players in the organization. But when it comes to his readiness to be a second-line center, there is nothing I have seen on the ice that makes me think he's ready for that. There isn't. Now, if you want to surround him with Skinner or Reinhardt or players that might help him along in that area, then maybe you could get away with it. But I think you're going to be better off if you put one of these wingers, Johansson, which they look like they're going to do, or Reinhardt, at second-line center, and I think they do a better job at it. All right, let's now hear from Ralph Kruger with Howard and Sal earlier today, the Sabre head coach today on The Morning Show. Sabre's head coach, Ralph Kruger, with us every week, uh, Wednesdays at 8.05, and he might be excited now. That might change. Who knows? But he is joining us right now, and uh, Ralph, it's Howard and Sal here this morning. Welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on with us today. Good morning, Howard and Sal. And as far as being excited, I will remain it. Rain or shine, all season long, we're we're ready to go. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna hold you to that. Uh, but we're we're excited to have you yeah. on the show. So uh, yeah. you know, we got a lot of hockey questions for you. But the first and foremost, what's up with the espresso machine? Really, you, you, an espresso <laughs> machine? Oh, we've got them all over the place now. But okay. that's uh, that's part of living in Europe for most of my adult life. It's uh, it's uh, one of one of the uh, one of the things I grant myself on a regular basis after meals and so on, but it's uh, it's interesting how many players actually have that as a part of their lifestyle already here. The, it's nothing new for the for this new generation, so everybody's enjoying their espressos, and it's it's a it's a wonderful opportunity for for casual meetings all over the place in our in our locker room right now. You know, I think for the first question for me, Ralph, would definitely be, you know, how you are coming along, new coach coming in, you get the job, I'm sure you start looking at tape of all these players, and now you're going through the process, as any coach would, to learn the strengths and weaknesses of each of the guys on your roster, and you can coach accordingly. How are you coming along in that process uh, in terms of learning who all these, what all these guys are about, on and, for that matter, off the ice, too? Well, you've, you've framed it really well, because... As a coach, you never understand or know a player until you coach him because you don't know what the other coaches have been asking or telling him to do. So you're watching the video, you're watching the tape, and you don't know what the directive is. And now the directives are clear. The asks with the puck or without the puck are very well defined. The players know exactly what we want. Now I can evaluate them really on a – on a, on a fair basis, and I've been pleased with the evaluation so far. The buy-in has been outstanding, and we won't be perfect for a while, but we're sure not going to lack an effort and the attempted cohesiveness here. I can really feel it. The players are extremely open to the messages we brought in, and uh, it's been it's been an outstanding training camp. Of course, you're going to coach X's and O's, and you're going to have principles that you want this team to play with. But I, I think a lot of the guys are talking about how you just want them to go out and not maybe overthink it or just rely on instincts. Can you talk a little bit about, essentially, how you want your team to play the game of hockey? Well, we're clearly much more concept and principle-based than we are system-based. And for people that maybe don't understand the difference, uh, system puts you into boxes continually defensively and offensively without any freedom really of creativity and movement but if you have core principles 
within you know within the within the structure. For instance, defensively, if players uh, are allowed to move within within the boundaries, like you want them between the dots, you want them pushing back hard on the back check, and there's uh, there's an opportunity to work within within a framework where there's more space, especially with the puck, to to use your genius and use your expertise. And we have a lot of that in the lineup. And I think we're, we're trying to find a way that people watch the Sabres feeling like we are connected and everybody's playing together in both directions. But at the same time, you should feel a freedom uh, of movement and you should feel speed in the group. And, uh, and, and let's, let's see how it all plays out. But so far, it's been going quite well. Ralph, when you were hired, my wife was excited. She's from Frankfurt, so she knows you know, your parents are from Germany. And no pressure there. She just keeps telling me, reminding me, <laughs> okay, so. have, a, have a German coach. But I do want to ask you about your time uh, spent over uh, coaching football over in Europe and how much I know you were in hockey. You went there. You came back. But what did that time do for you now that you've back been here integrated in coaching hockey again? What lessons did you learn and how, can you, how have you been able to apply all of that? Yeah. Well, well, just to be clear, I, I wasn't I wasn't coaching per se uh, on the on the field or on the right. pitch. I was the I was the president of the football team, so more in in the role uh, what Jason is doing here between general manager and president of the team, kind of leading the the organization, but very close to the football and very close to the to what was going on. And what I what I learned more than anything was just uh, you know to continue. To evolve as a as a leader of athletes at the highest level, they they have a special need. They're so much more professional than they were decades ago, and uh, they're 365 year, day machines now that uh, that actually have have a lot of consultants working with them away from the team in the summertime and so on and so forth. And it's just managing the the psychology of it really and making sure that these high end athletes find a way uh, and find uh, find things to grab on together and uh, goals to reach uh, as one and um, I know my experience in the Premier League was was outstanding because it's it's a similar mindset to here in the National Hockey League you're dealing with the best athletes in your sport and uh, how to push their buttons is really the bottom line and uh, in my role I need to push them the right way there is Ralph Kruger we'll continue his conversation with Howard and Sal after the break here on WGR Helping you unwind after a long day of work. I think he's kind of a boob. You can't really take him a day south as a person. You can't go out there and be a moron. It doesn't work like that. The Nightcap. We're eating their food. On WGR Sports Radio 550. Welcome in to the Nightcap, hour number two here on WGR. I've just got i got hockey on on the TV in here. I've got Stefan Diggs highlights rolling on the t- on the computer screen. We'll talk about him in just a little bit here. That might be a thing. Stefan Diggs is an idea. 803-0550 is the phone number if you want to get in on the conversation. Until, uh, until we do get to Diggs, though, which will be in a couple of minutes, I want to finish up with some hockey talk. Ralph Kruger, who was on with Howard and Sal early today, always a good listen this guy. I'm so happy that he's the coach, in part just because I think he's super interesting to listen to. That was always, you know, Tim Murray. Think back to Tim Murray. I think he got a little bit more leeway with fans and everybody because he was so interesting to listen to. And Kruger, in a different way, is interesting. So um, 
you know, maybe he'll get the same effect. Here's more of Kruger with Howard and Sal this morning. Can I can I just follow up real quick? People talk all the time. We hear about, well, today's athlete's so much different and a negative connotation, but it doesn't have to be. It, it can be extremely in a positive way about the way these athletes interact or how treated and how they take care of themselves and their careers. Oh, my God. I, I find the athletes today so exciting to work with. They're, they're high-performance machines who need to be treated you know, appropriately and with respect there, uh, you know, if I, if I think back to, to my generation growing up and, and playing in the eighties, okay, my career was in Germany, but, but, uh, you know, we would play ourselves into shape in the fall and, uh, and, and had, had definitely less professional off ice programs. And if I look at the, the buy-in on our players here to what we're asking away from the ice, before every training session in training camp, there was a pre-activation that took 20 to 25 minutes, a post-weight lift that took 30 to 35 minutes. We skated on the ice for you know, up to an hour and, and 15 minutes without any respect to what was actually going on off the ice and pushed them, and nobody complained, not one single moan or groan here. And I'll tell you that for me, the speed in the NHL, the strength in the NHL, the pace of the game is all the result of the of the improved fitness of the players. And it's, you know, and that's why the game of hockey just continues to get more exciting all the time. Ralph Kruger with us here on our West Star Hotline. The Sabres open in Pittsburgh tomorrow. Who's your number two center? Well, we don't really have a number one, two, three, four, five of anything. You know, it's, it's really the roles that they have. It's clear that Jack is the leader of the team and everybody would call him the number one, but we use names and not numbers here. And it's going to be, uh, the role that you have possibly uh, playing up against uh, the top line of the other team might not fall upon Jack or, or Marcus Johansson, or it might fall on, on you know, on Larson. And uh, it, it's, 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 about, it's about accepting the role that we need you to play and take the ice time and the minutes that you get and, and work with those. And it's clear that that from the outside, people will want to rank our players. But for me, everyone is important. The 13-minute the guy that spends five of those minutes killing penalties is every bit as important as, as the 22-minute guy who plays uh, eight of that on the power play. And it's just about getting everybody to buy into the roles, accept the roles, and, and execute them as best they can. That's really our job as coaches. The um, you, I, maybe this does get back to the when you were talking about uh, principle based versus system based. But as you well know, even though you weren't here last season, the Sabers had a ton of trouble in their own end. They were they were really confused at times. Ralph, how do you go about uh, whether this ties into your earlier explanation or not? Cleaning up play, being responsible in your own end. Well, we've been working on that the entire training camp and the game without the puck, I speak about it so much is really where you see the character of the team. It's where you see the personality of a, of a group. And uh, that has been a major focus in training camp because with the puck and offensively, we have a lot of exciting skill and talent. And it's just, uh, it'll be a never ending teaching process that we have because there's always improvement. <laughs> On the defensive side, there's always also offensively things we can work on. And I think that's really our motto for this season. It's going to be a small picture. Every day when we come in here, we're going to work hard to improve. And that's why I said to you at the beginning of the call, I'm going to come in here excited every day, and I won't let uh, you know the noise, good or bad, around us affect our process of, of just improving on a daily basis. And if the fans can feel that and the fans can feel the fight in the group, I think the results will follow.
One other thing before we let you go, I'm really curious about. You have you weren't around for a second of the eight-year playoff drought, but you're aware of it. And I wonder, do you feel any added pressure or added burden? I bring it up, Ralph, because the football team here had a 17-season playoff drought. And coaches changed over that time. And as each guy came in, it's almost like I mean, they were always asked. And I don't know if they felt like an extra burden on their shoulders that they inherited from the previous coaches because of the drought. Do you? It doesn't interest me at all. Uh, the The past has not just been bad here. I mean, it's not fair to criticize anything that's been done here over the last few years because so many fundamentally good things have happened here. I've walked into an outstanding support staff in all areas of the club, the people in and around the club, and, and possibly the results for the fan or the playoffs uh, weren't achieved. But a lot of outstanding work has been done. We've increased our depth through the summertime. And for me... It's only about managing what, what we can change right now, and I won't let any of those other pressures get at the team. We, we understand the responsibility much more of having the 50th anniversary year. I think that's more important than the playoff drought. It's, it's, it's carrying the flag of the Sabres into this 50th year with pride and with honour and understanding the great history and the fans and their loyalty to the group, and let's have that be a motivator and not a deterrent of trying to be a great team and, uh, and moving forward uh, together with our fan base as one. You know? And I think that, that, that that's how I'm feeling really honestly right now. The past is there for us to learn from. The pain that the players went through last year is there for us to use as an energy source of energy and not as a, a, a deterrent for for, for just moving this club forward. And let's, let's hope that uh, on our talk shows we, we get to speak about, um, you know, the, the development of the group and that, that, that it's very visible for everybody to see. Yeah, and I think, you know what, Ralph, you've even talked about this. I think it might have been in the piece I read the other day, the sit-down you had with Pierre Lebrun, about getting the fans back and getting the fan base you know, energized again, and because you know, because of what's happened, because of what they've gone through, but even because of last year, the ten-game win streak, and then the collapse. And I was going to ask you, you know, how do you get the fans back feeling excited about the product? And I would think the simple answer is you win. If you win, they'll they'll be back. You know, I think I think for me, the winning is always a byproduct. I, I really have a feeling that these fans in Buffalo are really honest, and they're. And, and what I'm feeling is, is a passionate, honest fan base that if they feel that a team is giving its very best on a daily basis and they are fighting with all their hearts and soul, that they will support us no matter the results. And uh, I, I, I really think, you know, after, after spending a few months here now in Buffalo, that that's, you know, we have a very honest environment. We have a very real world here of good people and that's what we need to strive for, that, that our fans leave this building every night and watch us play on the road and are convinced we've given our best. And uh, let, that be, let that be our motto to, to begin with. And as you already said, I, I am also convinced the wins will follow. What have you liked about Buffalo outside of uh, your job, personally? Well, the, hmm. the quality of life is just so high here. I, I, I'm, I'm just positively surprised at the opportunities you have here whether it's the niche restaurant scene, the cultural music and, uh, and, and arts opportunities, and uh, just the, the size of the city. And I love the core uh, of the city, and it's, it's how, how much of history has been restored and held on to here in comparison to a lot of American 
or North American cities that have just been filled with high-rise buildings. You know, I really, I've really enjoyed it. The access to nature here is amazing. Uh, yeah, my, my biggest surprise would be the quality of life uh, here in this city and, um, and the good people that are in it. Ralph Kruger with us on the Wester Hotline. The Sabres Culture will be joining us every Wednesday at 8. Thanks for your time, Ralph. We look forward to having you on each week. And don't worry, we'll have plenty of suggestions for you all season long. So, <laughs> no, no worries. Throw throw anything you want at me, and uh, no, every question is a good question, uh, and we'll find a way to a good answer. And I wish uh, Howard and Sal, I wish you and uh, all the all the listeners, and especially the Saber fans, uh, a good day, and let's get a great start tomorrow. All right, be you be careful what you just said. Eichel and Olofsson on the power play. One guy on the left. I like Olofsson on the right side. Eichel on the left side. Leave them both on the half wall, and I'm very happy. You said you want to. You want I'm to sure hear. you're taking no. notes, Coach. I'm sure you're taking notes. No, 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 no. I, I, actually, I just. Oh, my pen just ran out of ink. Ah, uh, you know, my best stuff goes to waste. Yeah. Thanks for coming on with us, Ralph. Good luck this season. Okay. Thanks. That okay. is. Have a good day. Bye bye. Ralph Kruger with Howard and Sal this morning. Um, as I said, I think he's an interesting guy, so I'm looking. I'm hoping this works. I'm hoping that he helps turn this thing around and get this team out of last place or near last place. Please. Oh, it's been so long. Eight years. Eight years. Um, I do want to get to football shortly here. I got some thoughts. Uh, but first, let's take one more hockey call, and then we'll take a break, and then we'll talk some uh, Stefan Diggs and the Bills. Let's go to Aaron. Aaron, you're on the nightcap. How's it going? Hey, how you doing? Thanks for taking my call. Sure, no problem. So, um, do you think possibly, as I'm just, you know, I'm just trying to think of a reason. Um, to me, it's either nobody wanted Brissolainen or – Botterill didn't want to take what they offered, or do you think possibly they're feeling like that if they wait for the trade deadline, they can get a better deal? Um, I mean, I think two and three might go together there. I think uh, maybe. I think that if I think it's pretty clear to everybody that Ristolainen is being talked about in trade circles among Botterill and other GMs. So I think if Botterill was getting the price that he would want, that he would have been dealt. Um, so I think that maybe he's looking to fill that center spot that we all want the Sabres to fill, and he's not getting it for Ristolainen, and he won't trade him unless he can get that. Maybe like that, for instance, could be part of that. I don't think they want to wait to the trade deadline, though. I think that is almost the entire season at that point. So, do you know how much does what does he have left on his contract? Because three not- years left, five point four million. Okay, so. So it's not waited out because he's probably not going to be resigned unless he takes a serious pay cut. So, yeah, and there's no pay cuts in hockey. Aaron, thanks for the call. Like, yeah, that, that contract's there. So, it's not the worst contract in the world. In fact, I think it's a little bit maybe of an overpayment, but not much. Um, he's good. I still think Ristolainen is good. It's just not. It's it's not what we hoped. Once upon a time, it's not what we hoped. Um, and now he wants out, the team doesn't need him anymore, and he has value. You would hope he has value. Maybe he doesn't. You're right. Maybe he doesn't have value. Maybe Justin Falk gets traded last week, who is just as good, if not better, and he got a first-round prospect, and that was about it. It wasn't much. So... I would fully understand if Jason Bottrell was only getting those types of offers, why he wouldn't do it. In fact, I would want him to not do it. 
Picks and prospects shouldn't be enough in this case. As I said last hour, let's see some trades with some urgency. You trade Ristolainen for someone else's first-round pick from two years ago and some spare parts, that is not urgency. That is, that, that's desperation. That's not knowing what to do. And that's what the Ryan O'Reilly trade was. We don't need another version of the Ryan O'Reilly trade. And I know Ristolainen is not near the player O'Reilly is, but it would be the same type of deal, and you might get the same type of result. 803 is the phone number. Stefan Diggs. How about that as an idea? He might be on the move. Not at practice today for Minnesota. There's a lot of social media stuff to get into with him. We'll get to that right after the break. Uh, digesting him as an idea for the Bills here on WGR. I've experienced players. The Trojan back there who's, who's a good player. But guys uh, who have been in big games before and have locked down some top receivers. And so uh, they have a lot of different looks, you know, a lot of different disguises. And you know, we're just going to have to be on point with who we're reading and who we're king um, and not try to, you know, force anything into windows that, you know, where we could be seeing ghosts or something like that. That is Bill's quarterback, Matt Barkley who may play on Sunday, may not. We'll see what Allen's status is throughout the week here. Um, we probably won't know until Sunday. I bet you I am sitting in here on Sunday morning with Nate Geary doing pregame, and we will not know who the starting quarterback is. That would be my guess. Um, so we'll find out. 803-0550 is the phone number. Hockey is underway. There's a game going on right now on my TV, which is pretty cool. The last two Stanley Cup champions, the Blues and the Capitals. So there's some sports on tonight if you're looking for that. Um, Stefan Diggs, if you haven't been keeping up, there is uh, some reporting today out of Minnesota on wide re- Vikings wide receiver Stefan Diggs, a very good wide receiver. He was not at practice today. He is not injury-related. He tweeted a couple of days ago the, uh, the, the emoji without the mouth, like, hey, I'm not saying anything. There's been some... Rumors of disgruntlement that he might want out, that the team might be willing to get out, get him out of there, uh, that they don't like the contract. And what's interesting is the contract, is it's, it's pretty easy for them to trade him. They save some money this year on it. They save $11 million, I think, next year on it if they were to trade him. Um, Tarasenko already scored. What's with these games tonight? we got two games and two goals within a minute. Anyways, back on Diggs. He is a really good wide receiver. The contract is not that bad. Would you pay $11 million for Stephon Diggs a year for the next few years? Hell, the Chiefs pay Sammy Watkins $16 million. This is not a bad contract at all. It's not a bad contract. It's not A.J. Green, who is 32 and has an injury history. Diggs is 25 Smack dab in the middle of his prime. And he has missed three games in the last three seasons. That's it. And his first two seasons, he played 13 and 13. So, not a lot. He's playing almost a full season every year. Whereas A.J. Green, a lot of injuries lately. And he's 32. And he's got a contract coming up. Diggs is a better idea. A lot better of an idea. In fact, I think he's a better wide receiver right now. I really do. I think he's a complete wide receiver. He's got good speed. He's got 
decent size. He's got good hands. He's a very good route runner. I think he's a complete wide receiver. Now, the difference is A.J. Green in his prime, and if you were to hope that he could return to that in a new offense, uh, A.J. Green in his prime is like an elite wide receiver. Diggs is not that. I think Diggs is a bona fide number one wide receiver. I really do. But he's not an elite wide receiver. He's not up there with Odell Beckham and Julio Jones and Michael Thomas and Devontae Adams. He's not quite there. But he might be on that second tier. I think on a good team, he can be a number one wide receiver. He's a star. Last year, 102 catches for 1,021 yards and nine touchdowns. Year before that, 64 catches, 849 and eight. Year before that, 84, 903 and three. Like he's, he's very consistent throughout his career. And he has a very high catch percentage. He's better than what you got right now. You wouldn't have to pay a lot on his contract. 11 million's not that much. Value-wise, it would cost you more than A.J. Green because he's not a rental. I don't know if it would cost you a first-round pick. It might, but you never know with trades in the NFL. Maybe you get him for a second, and here's the thing. The Vikings would want a receiver back. Man, would I love that to be Zay Jones. Could you imagine Zay Jones in the second-round pick for Stephon Diggs? Oh, I mean, I I will run from wherever I am to come talk about that trade on the air if it happens. I don't care. If it's 3 o'clock in the morning and I'm sleeping, I will wake up and I will run here and I will talk about that trade because I would be so psyched about it. They would need a receiver back, though, and that's why I kind of threw Zay Jones into that. Um, maybe it would be Robert Foster. Who knows? Who, maybe that's who they'd want. But they don't have much of a receiving core outside of their two really good guys, Thielen and Diggs. Uh, past that, it's Laquan Treadwell, who they actually cut, their former first-round pick. They cut him at the start of the season. Then Chad Beebe, their slot receiver, Yes, son of Don Beebe. Uh, got hurt for the season. They brought Treadwell back. They have two other guys I've never heard of. Um, so if they trade Diggs, they would need a body back. But the draft pick would be the thing that they would want most, I think. The second-round pick, maybe. Maybe they would want a first-round pick. I really like the player a lot. I think he would help out a young quarterback a lot more than what jo- what Zay Jones is doing right now. Like The upgrade that would be is massive. Massive. John Brown is still going to play. Cole Beasley is still going to play. You upgrade Zay Jones to Stephon Diggs? Now we are really talking about a really good offense. And maybe an offense with a much higher ceiling than before. Because they don't have a player like this. The other thing is, are we thinking about New England at all? Because I am a little bit. As we get further and further away from Sunday, I'm still thinking about them a little bit. And that they are not totally out of reach. They're a game back. They both have easy schedules. Brady did not look right on Sunday. I'm thinking about it a little bit. And here's the thing. New England has proven by trying to go get Antonio Brown, by trading for Josh Gordon last year, that they are on the hunt for a number one wide receiver. And I would truly believe that if Stephon Diggs is truly going to be traded, New England is the favorite. And not only would the Bills be upgrading their offense dramatically by acquiring him, and they would also be upgrading their offense for the long term dramatically by acquiring him. Again, it's not A.J. Green. He is 25. You get him under contract, he might be great for the next six, seven years. At least. You get him, you do all of that, you help out a young quarterback, He doesn't kill your cap. You have so much cap space next year anyway. And I stop New England from adding another great weapon, which they are looking for. 
Because that is a hole on their team. We saw it on Sunday. Trey White in the Bills secondary locked down Josh Gordon. And Brady doesn't have a lot to look at. Especially with Edelman banged up. He's got nothing to look at at tight end. Philip Dorsett, he's done all right, but he's not that good. And other than that, it's like undrafted rookies. Or dump-offs out of the backfield. They're looking for another dynamic playmaker. The Bills trading for Diggs not only helps themselves, it hurts New England. Because I would have to think that's the team that's most aggressively trying to get Diggs if he's available. It's the Patriots. And I would want the Bills to be in on that. Now, the social media stuff that's going on right now, hey, you never know. We live in a new day and age. You might be able to read into this a little bit if you want, if you want to get excited about this. His most recent people he's followed on Twitter uh, are Cole Beasley, are uh, Kevin Johnson, Bill's Corner. Uh, His most recent follows on Instagram are Shaq Lawson of the Bills, are... Hold on, I just had it here. Where'd it go? There was another bill on here. There were two other bills. I don't have it here. Zay Jones, who I think we might want him to get traded for. Um, But Zay Jones, and then there's another bill on here. So three bills that he recently followed. Now, you can also say he's following a lot of other guys. He's following uh, Darius Geis of the Redskins. He's firing George Kittle of the Niners. He's following Devin Smith of the Cowboys. But, hey, let's, let's, let's have some fun. Let's have some fun. And this is a trade idea that I truly love for the Bills. Now, if we want to, if he gets traded or maybe he doesn't get traded and we get further down the road here, I think A.J. Green's going to get dealt. He's an idea. So, it's not as good an idea because it's a rental. It's an older player. You don't really know fully what he's going to give you coming off an injury, and you also don't fully know whether he's going to stay on the field from an injury. There are a lot of things wrong with it. But the other thing is, that A.J. Green trade, if it were to happen, presents the same type of upside on the short term in that he could be a true elite number one wide receiver for you, and he's not going to cost you as much. Draft pick-wise, you're talking almost nothing. And Cincinnati should deal him. There's no reason to hang on to him. They are 0-4. They should be ready to tear things down at the end of the year. That guy's 32 and on an expiring deal. Trade him. So maybe it's more likely Green gets traded at this point, but there are two guys now on the market that are number one wide receivers. One, to me, is a lot better of an idea than the other, and that's Diggs. But there are two guys available, and the Bills need a number one wide receiver. They, You know what? Let me, let me stop that. They don't need a number one wide receiver, in my opinion, but they could use one. They could use one. John Brown's done a really nice job, but I think on a really good team, on a really good offense, he's your number two. Beasley's a slot guy. He's a number three. This is about Zay Jones for me as much as it is about Stephon Diggs. You're getting him off the field, and you're doing it by replacing him with a bona fide stud in Stephon Diggs. Love the idea. I would give them a first-round pick. Um, that's just me. I was on the fence about that, but I would give, I would do the first-round pick because I, I am thinking a lot about the playoffs this year, and I'm thinking a lot about their short-term expectations. And, you know, I'm, I'm excited for this team right now, I guess. And I want to see them 
make a move that's kind of like a not not an all in move, but a, all right, we we understand that we're good now and we want to we want to make sure that we're even better. Like let's go for it. Stefan Diggs, what do you think? 803-0550 is the phone number. I'll take a break a little bit earlier here. I'll take your calls in the next five minutes. We'll get you right on after the break on the nightcap on WGR. Welcome back to the nightcap with Joe DiBiase here on WGR. I got about 20, yeah, a little less than 20 minutes here on WGR, as I mentioned. 2-0 Blues over the Capitals. That's good for the Sabres, right? Wow, how many of you just rolled your eyes at me just now? <laughs> hey, an Eastern Conference team is losing to a Western Conference team. Isn't that a good thing? No, I'm just kidding. Just, you, what would they have to do for us to even think like that again? The 10-game win streak. They go on a 10-game win streak again. We're going to be like, oh, here we go again. They all have to make the playoffs, really. Field Yates, ESPN, was on One Bills Live earlier today. We'll get to him in a little bit. He'll be our interview of the day. Um, talking some football. He's always good. I like to play him back on on, uh, on Wednesdays. Um, Bills, Titans, a quick word on uh, on Mariota. And I'm thinking about that draft class a lot recently. The uh, the Mariota, Jameis Winston uh, experience, basically. Those guys go one and two. Um, and you look back on it, and both guys kind of have not lived up to expectations. Both guys are in the final year of their contracts. Both teams will have a decision to make on those two. And Winston's actually doing a pretty good job. They beat the Rams last week. There's some stats about him under pressure where he's doing a really good job. He He's playing pretty well, and part of that might be his coach. Bruce Arians seems to get the most out of quarterbacks, and that's helping him right now. But Winston might be doing enough to, uh, to get a new contract. Mariota is going back and forth. He's having a good game, then he's having a terrible game, and then he's having a good game, and then he looks brutal again. And I think if he does this all season, the Titans either go to Tannehill at some point or they decide at the end of the year that we're going to move on and we're going to try something else. I would hope that would – if my team was in that spot, I would hope they would do the same because, man, Mariota, you just don't want to be stuck in that purgatory. You don't. There are some quarterbacks that are, I think, reaching their peak. There are quarterbacks that, you know, that you've been in the league long enough now, this is what you are. Mariota's one of those guys. Derek Carr, to me, is one of those guys. Andy Dalton's a little older, but he's one of those guys, of course. Um, those are really the big three for me right now. It used to be Tannehill, but he he got benched. So, what does Tennessee do? And also, how good is he? I just don't think he's that good in general. He's a, he's a game manager that... When they need to throw the ball, he's not capable of doing it. He actually reminds me a lot of Tyrod Taylor. Except for the fact that he turns the ball over more. So, like, you know, the one thing Taylor was good at, Mariota's not even that good at. So, that's not that's not a great spot to be in. This Bills defense should dominate them. I'm not scared of Marcus Mariota. This Bills defense should not allow more than 14 points on Sunday. I really believe that. You hold Tom Brady to 9, should be able to hold Marcus Mariota to at least 14. So... I'm optimistic about this game, no matter who's in quarterback at quarterback for the Bills, because I have so much confidence that Marcus Mariota and that Titans offense will not be able to move the ball on this Bills defense. All right, let's get to our interview of the day. A little bit of uh, Field Yates on One Bills Live earlier today as he, uh, from ESPN, joined uh, John Murphy and Steve Tasker. Field Yates on the line. Hello, Field. Welcome to the show. John Murphy and Steve up here in Buffalo. Thanks for coming on. 
Good afternoon, guys. How are we doing today? We're doing great. Steve's had doing his great. bacon slider. He's good. <laughs> hey, um, you know what? Pretty good right there. Yeah, it sounds good. good. Hey, somebody made a good point. You kind of do look like Mason Rudolph, right? You, you, I saw the tweet. You said, "Maybe, maybe I do." Right? Yo, you said. You, you, maybe a little bit. Maybe a little bit. I can see it. A little. You know, I'm, I'm not certainly not as athletic or accomplished in life or uh, bound to be successful like Mason Rudolph is. Yeah, but, you're not six um, seven either. I can, I can think of worse quarterbacks to look like, and uh, I was flattered by the comparison, even if I don't have even a morsel of his athletic ability. Good point by you. Good point. Yeah, we're talking. We're getting into this game. We've kind of turned the page on Wednesday. We have you on here to kind of – and we're at the quarter poll, and before we get into the Bills-Titans matchup, is there anything that jumps out at you across the league at about, you know, after four games in where the – we kind of settled into who these teams are, how things are going. Obviously, some questions still going on. But what are your thoughts about the first quarter of the NFL season? Not sure that we have a large group of elite teams this year. I think we have some excellent teams at the top. I don't know that we have eight teams at the top. I don't know that we have you know, six or seven teams that are a cut above. I think we have some solid teams right now. I think we have sure maybe three to four that kind of feel like they're uh, you know one step ahead of the rest of the league but i think the competitive balance throughout the nfl is going to be a really really good thing um going into the rest of the season which i think the nfl really wants right i mean the nfl wants to be the league where things are less predictable than the nba has been for the past five years that stands out to me and then i would say that maybe defenses are back a little bit right we have seen so many um, offensive outbursts over the past two years. So far this year, we've seen some really strong defensive performances. Uh, back to your three or four elite teams field, who do you got there? Patriots, uh, Chiefs, Rams, who else? Do I have those three right? Um, you know, I think the Patriots and the Chiefs have kind of established themselves. And I think the Saints, when Drew Brees is healthy, and then I think also that I think uh, when things are going right, the Cowboys have a chance to be in that conversation as well. Now, huh. it does not mean that the Rams can't be right there. The Rams certainly can be there. But right now I have some questions about the offensive operation there. And then additionally, uh, you know, Todd Gurley has had some moments. Jared Goff has had some moments. But they've also had some moments of inconsistency. So that uh, loss last week was really surprising to me from Los Angeles. It got away from them in a whole bunch of different ways. Uh, so we'll see whether or not uh, they end up turning the corner. And uh, Thursday night will be an interesting challenge for them going on the road short week to Seattle, which has traditionally been a pretty difficult place to play. Big test ahead for the Los Angeles Rams. Well, let's turn the page and go to come back to the AFC and talk about the Bills. Well, before we do that, oh, okay. I, I just feel the defenses, and this is a Bills question too, are the Bills one of those great defenses you see around the league based on the way they played the first quarter of the year? Yeah, of course. I think they were almost, I mean, they were basically there last year, but I don't, you know, if, if people can make any kind of caveats that they want, it's only four games, who have they played, et cetera, et cetera. If you don't believe in the Bills' defense, then you're just, you're, you're doing so out of either jealousy or, you know, disdain or maybe just a lack of awareness. The Bills' defense is amazing. It's, it was fantastic on Sunday, and it's been fantastic through, really, it's been fantastic for about, two games and three quarters. You know, the, the last quarter of that Bengals game wasn't perfect. Um, but, you know, this defense has been dominating uh, so far this season. Um, you know, then the, the Patriots, too. Those two are, uh, you know, those two defenses have what we saw on Sunday. It may not have registered on the scale of entertainment that something like the Chiefs and the Ram did last, Rams game did last year. But make no mistake, that was two outstanding defenses going toe-to-toe. 
for 60 full minutes on Sunday. Is the Bills' defense good enough to put, for them to put together the type of year that Chicago Bears put together last year? I think it gives them a shot, that's for sure. Um, you know, I think that the Bills' defense is close to, it's at least in the same zip code as the Bears last year. Now, where the Bears were different was that the Bears' pass rush was more formidable, right? The Bills right now are awesome on all three levels, but if I'm not mistaken, zero sacks of Tom Brady last week. And not that, right. you know, sacks are the only pressure indicator because Tom Brady was uncomfortable throughout most of that game. But the Bills, you know, you don't have a Khalil Mack, which is, you know, basically nobody has a Khalil Mack except for the Bears. Maybe the, the Rams can make that case with Aaron Donald and a couple of other really good duos. But the pass rush, probably not quite there. But, I mean, speed at linebacker, improved play at linebacker, uh, obviously incredibly tough up front with a, a big, hulking defensive interior line. And the safety play is, you know, I think it's it's probably as good as there is right now in the NFL. I would say the, the Micah Hyde-Jordan Poyer duo is probably the standard setter in the NFL are very close to the top in terms of one-two punches at that safety spot. We're with Field Yates. He is ESPN NFL insider talking about the NFL. And uh, the buff- let's get your take on Josh Allen. As we said at the top of the hour, he is out there now getting through individual work. And who knows, remains in concussion protocol. We don't know if he will play this Sunday at Tennessee. But it was a difficult day. I'm sure you saw his day against New England. How much of that was due to what New England showed him and, and fooled him with? And how much was just, you know, struggling by the second-year quarterback? Probably a bit of both. You know, you know, listen, I mean, the again, I was just saying that, you know, the Bills are an outstanding defense, and so are the Patriots, right? So, you know, I don't think that uh, if, if you look at that game and say, you know, what the heck, you know, Josh Allen, you know, he can't get it done. I mean, the Patriots have allowed one touchdown in four games. I don't care if they're playing, you know, a junior high school team. Four games with one touchdown allowed is utterly ridiculous. So there was some chaos. There was some confusion. There was some pressure. But, you know, I know personally I'm not, you know, my, my, my sort of confidence level in Josh Allen did not waver simply off of what we saw last week. There were some things that were probably self-inflicted too, but um, he got a tremendous test last week. That was a huge part of it was that he went toe-to-toe with probably the most difficult defense he'll face all year this year and maybe one of the most difficult he'll face in the first three to five years of his career. What about the Tennessee defense this week? They're, they're nothing to sneeze at. We've been looking at their statistics. They're a pretty good defense as well. Yeah, they're very, very solid in a couple of key spots. They have one of the best safeties in football, and Kevin Byard signed to a massive deal earlier this off, or this offseason, I should say. Um, you know, pass rush-wise, they rely on a familiar face for the Bills, uh, which would be Cam Wake, who was signed this offseason uh, from Miami. Well, dealing with a little bit of an injury situation right now is Cam Wake. We'll see how much that impacts him, if at all. But, um, you know, one thing that the Patriots' defense, um, and I think, you know, the Bills' defense this as well, as well uh, but I'll, I'll draw the comparison of the Titans in a second, is, like, they're fundamentally sound. And a lot of the people that are important or in charge in the Titans' defense, specifically coordinator Dean Pease and head coach Mike Vrabel, have some Patriots' ties as well. So they're physical, they're tough. They're going to tackle well. Uh, they're going to play fast and hard. That's part of the challenge of this Titans team is they have a bruising identity. They want to do that on offense. They want to do it on defense. And in two out of their four games, they've been able to impose their will in a pretty dramatic fashion. ESPN NFL insider Field Yates on the line with his field. Tell us about Marcus Mariota. I know he's not held in extremely high regard, but he's capable, like at least almost capable, isn't he? He can do some damage. Well, 
I think if you're the Titans, we know what you want to do offensively. You want to be able to run the football a ton and prolong possessions and not give any up. And through one quarter of the season, there is one quarterback that has yet to turn the football over. Yep. And that's Marcus Mariota. And that's been a problem for him in the past. Fumbles have been an issue for him in the past. Mindless interceptions have been a problem for him in the past. And he has not done that at all this year. Not once has he turned the football over. Uh, is he a prolific passer? No. But as you saw on the screen right there, he's got, I think, really three good wide receivers. Corey Davis, A.J. Brown, the rookie from Ole Miss, and then also Adam Humphrey. So they gave a huge contract to this past offseason in free agency. So three separate talented wide receivers, very good tight end, and the offense gets a big boost back this week because Taylor Luan is set to return from his four-game suspension, and he's one of the best left tackles in all of football, period. Yeah, how big a difference will Taylor Luan make for, like, Derrick Henry, the running game of the Titans? You said they've had a pretty good run of controlling the ball. Derrick Henry's been a big part of that. It should get even better with Luan back in going to say like you know you're going to go from great to even greater I suppose because they have been awesome so far running the football and Derrick Henry you know I, I, I don't like to use hyperbole too often but when you acknowledge um, that you're not exaggerating that's you know it's done for a reason and I think Pounds runs hard uh, runs fairly north-south then you throw in Taylor Lewan who's a you know six seven three hundred plus pound man who bookends with Shaq Conklin, a former first-round pick in his own right, powerful, play, powerful player. And, you know, Roger Saffold signed to a big money contract in free agency this past offseason. You know, I mentioned how the Titans have an identity on both sides of the ball, and that's to be more physical and tougher than you are. I think Sunday could be – this is going to be a black and blue game between these two teams, two teams that play with incredible ferocity and um, certainly are going to be very physical on Sunday between the Bills and the Titans. Field Yates, our guest from ESPN. Let's just take a look at some of the NFL games this weekend, Field, including the Colts. Uh, the Colts think that Co uh, Jacoby Brissett hasn't blinked yet uh, in his uh, four yeah. starts this season. But he might blink this week in trying to put up points and keep up with Kansas City, huh? Yeah, the hard part about playing against an explosive offense like the Chiefs is that when things get off schedule or outside of your comfort zone, um, you know, the, the Colts probably would like to go into this game with this mindset. We've got to run the football down Kansas City's throat. And at one point, the Chiefs were allowing nearly 6.2 yards per carry this season. And if you can do that, what you can, can do is keep Patrick Mahomes off the field. You can eat up time. You can give your defense a rest. You can allow yourself time to adjust defensively. The problem is if you don't have success on offense early and the Chiefs get out to a 14-point lead, you find yourself having to throw the football a ton and maybe do something you're not as comfortable doing on a weekly basis. T.Y. Hilton may or may not play in this game. He missed this past week. Obviously an explosive player. But besides that, the wide receiver group is very inexperienced. Jacoby Brissett has been really good this year with multiple passing touchdowns in every game. He's the only starting quarterback that's done that in all four weeks. And yet, there's still something you know to be said for wanting to just dominate the line of scrimmage. It's a very good offensive line. The Colts have, so if anybody can, it's probably them. But they're going to have to make sure they impose that will early because we saw last year in Kansas City when they played the Chiefs in the playoffs, they had no chance after basically the first quarter or so. 
Field Yates of ESPN. There he is with the guys on One Bills Live earlier today. If you want to catch that whole interview, it's on demand at WGR550.com. I'll have a piece up shortly on our website uh, at WGR550.com and the Radio.com app pertaining to Savon Diggs as an idea for the Bills. So stay tuned for that. And uh, it'll definitely be up by tomorrow morning. It'll be some point tonight. So if you're not a late bloomer like I am, or late bloomer, late, late, what am I looking for here? A night owl. Fine, there it is. If you're not a night owl like me, then um, it'll be up for you tomorrow morning. Until Friday, though, because we've got Sabres-Penguins tomorrow in the station. The next time I speak with you, the Sabres will be underway in the 2019 season. Until then, have a good night, and I'll talk to you on Friday. This has been Jody Biasi on the Nightcap here on WGR. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay. Plus taxes and fees. Phone fees 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge apply. See T-Mobile.com.